Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela, and welcome to another episode of Coffee Talk. So in today's episode, I have a friend of mine. Her name is Isa. She is from the Global Collective Co. on Instagram, and she is the goddess of luxury. She understands luxury inside and out. She has a background in retail, background in buying. She sells luxury goods. She authenticates luxury goods. She has a newsletter that comes out to teach you on how to learn all about luxury goods. She has an authentication service as well that she just started where she teaches everyone who sends her items about real and fakeness and how to sell the product, what to do, how to look for the fake or real aspects of an item. She is just a wealth of knowledge and I had so much fun talking to her and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as well. So let's get to it. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Coffee Talk. I'm Daniela, and today I have Isa with me. Isa is the Global Collective Co. on Instagram. Say hello, Isa. Hello, ladies. I am so excited to be here. We've been talking about this for a while, but yeah. schedules, pandemic stuff. Yeah, so <laughs> life. So life, everything. So I'm, I'm so happy we finally made it happen. Yes. So Issa and I have actually been talking for a while on Instagram, probably like three or so months, maybe around there. Um, I reached out to Issa because that's just who I am and I make friends with everyone. And we just started talking. Issa, uh, you know, her business really focused around luxury goods and she was creating these really awesome posts about authenticity and stuff. And I just reached out to her because why not? It's good to have friends in your corner. Um, and just make new friends that have similar interests that you do. So it's I also think- like we're so I feel like we're so alone in this. It's kind of like a lonely wolf kind of job. It is. Um, so it's cool because we are coworkers. We all are, you know, comrades. We're trying to accomplish the same things, which is, you know, live a good life, make money, find good stuff. Yeah. Find- profitable businesses. So I was, I, I love when people reach out and say hi and introduce themselves. Yeah. And Isa's Instagram has been exploding the last like a month or so. She's been doing some really great things. She's got a blog going. She has a newsletter. She just started an authentication service for luxury goods. And we're going to talk all about that in this episode. But before we do that, I want Isa to introduce herself to all you guys. I want her to tell you about her background and all of that stuff. So Isa, take it away. Okay, well, cut me off if I talk too much. No, you can talk for as long as you want. Our (laughs) listeners love it when we talk. So keep Uh, (laughs) Okay, you were warned. Uh, Well, my name is Isa. I run the Global Collective Co. I started that. It'll be, I guess it'll be two years now. Awesome. Um, It's really, it's it's been a crazy whirlwind. Um, Before I get to the Global Collective Co., I have a lot of experience in fashion and marketing. Um, I did a little bit of everything since I was really young. Um, my first job ever was like a really expensive boutique in San Diego. I couldn't afford anything. (laughs) It was so depressing working in a place you can't afford anything. That didn't mean I didn't buy anything. Oh, right, right, right. (laughs) That's when like, 
I think it was when Juicy Couture, like Sarah Jessica Parker wore a dress on Sex and the City and it blew up those like tube top dresses. Oh my God. I, well, you say Juicy Couture and all I get is flashbacks of the, like the, um, oh my God, the Terry Fleece, like yes. pants and the sweatshirts that I, oh my God, I used to walk by the outlet store all the time. Be like, oh my God, I really want one. Why is it $150? Like that's whenever I think of Juicy Couture, it's what I think of because that was huge in the early 2000s. Girlfriend, I work at Juicy Couture on Rodeo with the founders. So that's crazy. <laughs> let me backtrack. So I worked at the store. Um, that was kind of my first, was my first job ever. I was in high school and like Von Dutch had just come out. Uh, True Religion had just come out. Oh my God, this is like blast from the past. Oh my God. I mean, I was in it, in it. So I spent all the money I made on stuff that I couldn't afford. And they would, obviously they would give us payment plans. So you would just spend your entire check there. Oh my um, God. But I like, that's when I started realizing how, you know, how people shop, how it works. Um, how, you know, just consumer behavior that you don't realize you're learning that much until you apply it someday in your life, 20 years later. Right. Um, I worked for the giants. I worked for Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's great experience. I mean, it was the, the, the amount of, of knowledge, customer service, branding visuals that I got from, from Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's were you know, you can't, you can't pay for that, for that experience. Um, so I would not interrupt you, but I've heard that Nordstrom's like sends their employees out to different types of trainings all the time. They kind of teach you about the newest and greatest fashion trends that are out there. Is that, is that true? It's amazing. I don't know what they're like now, but I imagine it's even better because they will, until the pandemic, they'd yeah. make money they're getting bigger, but they're an amazing company to work for. I mean, it, it is hard because it's, you know, commission and some days you would come in, you're already 2000 in the hole. But yeah. um, I think that's where I got introduced into, into like the designer stuff. And, you know, I was able to walk around, you know, and see all this expensive stuff that I still couldn't afford at all. Right. Um, and I think that's when I started getting really curious about luxury and I became, um, I became fascinated with it. I, I love it. I like pretty things that I can't afford. And, you know, <laughs> Don't I, I would, all. the shoes and like, go look at the purses. And I'm very observant. I am very detail oriented. So I, you know, and I, I was studying fashion design. So I was very attentive to seams and what, what angles and shapes and so I think that's kind of where I picked that up. But yes, Nordstrom has an amazing, amazing uh, training program and the brands come in and talk to you and they'll gift you things and then they'll, you know, run contests and whoever sells the most seven jeans gets a free pair and you're, and you know, for, you know, a 19, 20 year old to get a free pair of $200 jeans was like, sure, I'll do it. Yeah. I mean, it's a great incentive to even in general, in, in terms of business, it's a great incentive to get your staff motivated to produce. Totally. Is, hey, it, you get these for free. And I think that's something that I advocate a lot on Instagram is in, and my newsletter and stuff is you have to know your product. You have to know what you're selling. You, you are your own expert like people are coming to you to buy something. So you should know everything about anything in your store. And I think that's what Nordstrom's gave me was all these brands would can't come in and make sure we knew 
about the brand that we were selling because we were the last point of contact between a sale and no right. sale, you know? Right. Right. So, um, the customer yeah. coming to you for the knowledge. Yes. And girl, their, their, um, customer service is unparalleled. I mean, our customer books, our, our client books were electronic. They were on the computer. I mean, this is years ago. So that's pretty groundbreaking for, right. Just to say. um, and it had the ability to, it would send you reminders. So the training in Nordstrom's was remember anything and everything the customer tells you. So if the customers mention that her birthday is in two weeks or her son's graduating in two weeks or whatever, um, her anniversary or something, we were able to send cards. So the book would tell us like, ding, hey, it's her cousin or husband's or her anniversary in two weeks or whatever. So I'd send her a note a week before and she would get it on her anniversary. And for clients, that's like amazing. That's you know, like, huge. Yeah. I, talk to this girl, you know, for hours I shopped with her and it was so nice of her to remember, you know, my anniversary or you'd write down kids' names so that when she came back, you, you wouldn't just say, how are your kids? You'd be like, Hey, how's Lucy and John, you know, right. And all of that makes the customer feel special, feel like family. And so it's, you build trust, you get them to shop. And at some point, because at Nordstrom's, it's all commission. Um, the goal is, I mean, you're not tricking them into buying things. You generally, you genuinely want them to find things they like, but eventually you want them to come shop with you for anything they might need for her, for her kids, for her husband, for gifts, um, for anything. So, I mean, it was incredible schooling for customer service. Oh yeah. It sounds it. And it's, so it's interesting because we only had a Nordstrom here in Rhode Island for I don't know, maybe 15 years or so, maybe a little mm -hmm. longer, not long, but it was a, it was small in terms of Nordstrom. It, it didn't really carry a ton of stuff. And I feel like the, the only place you really got customer service in there was in the shoes and in the handbag section, and in the cosmetic section, in the clothing section, there really wasn't too much interaction. And I think it was just because of the size of the store and where it was located. I never went to the Nordstrom in Boston, so I don't know how that one functions, but I feel like being in California too, like that makes a big difference in terms of the clientele you're dealing with and how you're going to approach them and all that kind of stuff. Like it's interesting to hear the different dynamics, like even coast to coast. I mean, it was, it, it was unreal. They would never backwards for their customers. They would, um, you know, like it, it was little things like I used to have a customer who was really wealthy. She'd come in, she'd buy a lot for me and my manager would help me because they're on a lower commission, they're higher, um, salary. So yeah. when, you know, if it's someone that requires a lot of help, they would team up with us. And literally the lady was like, Oh my gosh, you know, I feel so thirsty. It's so hot in here whatever. Uh, do you guys have like anything to drink around here? And my customer, my manager would be like, Oh, what do you want? Oh, a Coke. And she would send me up to the cafe to buy her a Coke. <laughs> so it's like anything they wanted. If we had to help her carry bags out the door. Oh, wow you would, you would step around the counter and hand her her bags. It was totally unacceptable to just hand them over the counter because it's a service, you know, you want yeah. to think. So it, it, it sounds like something from a movie, like when you explain it like that. <laughs> it was, it was very special, but, um, you know, but then it's commission. So I was well, that's the other thing too. I worked a commission job. I worked in the bridal industry and that's oh, all commission. So, um, I know all about the whole white glove service. I get it. And it works. I mean, it, oh, works it does. 
it, it, it can't be fake, right? You have to genuinely yeah. like the person and care about right. them. But, but it, it does feel like family. Like eventually they'll call you and be like, Hey, I'm looking for like black and blue jeans. Like, could you just like put a few in the room and I'll be there in 15. So it just, it speeds up the process. You make more money. So it, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Nordstrom. The return situation was horrid. Yeah, I don't, can you, so explain your, their return, um, what their return system was like for people that might not know that maybe don't have Nordstrom around them, so they don't know. So anything, the I think they've changed their policy now because people were taking advantage, but you could buy something in Nordstrom's, hold it for 10 years, bring it back, and they would give you a full refund. No matter That's crazy. what happened. I, I, sometimes you don't even have to buy it at the store. People would try to return merchandise from like elsewhere. Um, and they would just do it. But the problem is it goes against the sales associate. So, you know, if you, if a customer brings back $2,000, you're in the hole $2,000 when you come in that day to work. So you have to resell 2000 before you can start accumulating um, commission again. I don't know if I agree with that, but I get it. It's business. I understand. It's it was tough, but it, it kind of balanced out, you know, because there were days when, like, you could have a crazy week where you, you know, sold $10,000 and right. like 6% commission. So it, it, it worked out in the big, like at the end, but it was crazy. I mean, I'm not going to lie. That was the worst <laughs> part of it, but um I Which did. It sounds like you learned a lot from from Nordstrom. I did. I did. I I did, and I think that it was crucial to staying in that high end, like job search. You know, like I really liked it. I really liked what I was doing and and being around the clothes and stuff. So I think the like when you work at Nordstroms, I think you can go work at other places, and they know the kind of training you have. You know, right? So. It was great. I did, I did Bloomingdale's too. It was, it was really, it was really great. It was a brand new store. I helped open it. Um, so that was all sales. And then I went and worked for Juicy Couture on Rodeo Drive. Oh, before that I worked at Ron Herman, which was like a really fancy, um, designer boutique. Sounds uh, like, because I've never heard of it. Sounds like a boutique. It was a boutique. It was on road. It was right. It's a street over on Beverly Hills on Rodeo Drive. It was on Beverly Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, girl, my first day there, my first day, I think one of the first three clients that walked in that door, what the first day I met Harrison Ford and he was married <laughs> to Calista Flockhart. I almost had a heart attack. I was like, <laughs> Indiana Jones is here. <laughs> I've met him too, but at Mystic oh, Aquarium in Connecticut. So that very different. Oh, <laughs> really good this was years ago you yeah I was gonna say this was maybe like 10 years ago when I saw him and he had his like little son with him so <laughs> yeah he, he I almost had a like heart attack there and it was like celebrity central on oh Evan. yeah Rodeo Drive is like the central of everything like that's a dream just to even like walk up and down the streets and see the stores it was really cool to work there I loved the environment and Honestly, I was on commission at that store, and I think t-shirts were like a hundred dollars. Oh so. my god, it's like such a reality check when you're in those kind of stores. You're like, oh, okay, a t-shirt. Oh my god. It was crazy. It was crazy because it was like super expensive t-shirts and sweatpants. Like Free City had come out, and it, you know, like, and for the, for those people, it's 
probably normal pricing. So right, um, right. I worked like five or six hours. I was making a killing. Or our shifts were super uh, short. We would just kind of switch out and the store closed at seven. So it was great. Wow. Um, so I did that. And then I got recruited to be the, the assistant store manager for Juicy Couture on Rodeo. Um, That's pretty I, awesome. I wasn't a huge fan. I, my friends were super excited. I wasn't a huge fan of Juicy Couture, but um, I think I had had like a tracksuit or two maybe. Yeah, I, I definitely have a tracksuit, and I feel like I had a handbag at some point in time as well. I Well, I was the accessories manager, and I saw those handbags so much that I don't think I could ever touch them again. Like, yeah. I, just, I don't I think feel I like touch so again. Thinking of Juicy Couture and, and Velour, so Velour is, like, totally coming back for the fall and winter, which is yeah. so interesting to me. But, like, I also feel like Juicy Couture is trying to make a comeback, and I'm seeing it more in stores, and I know they're in Kohl's, I think. Did they transition to Kohl's? I feel like they did. Um, I think they did, but I've got, like, I've got things with that, because I worked, so when I worked at the store, I didn't know this when they recruited me, and I didn't know until the day I was there, but the founders were still involved. They were creative, creative directors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was their home store. Their office was up there. Their, you know, so I, I got to work. I had the honor to work with Pam and Gila. That's awesome. And Gila, uh, very often. And it was, it's something that I will always appreciate. And, and I think, you know, being around someone like that, you know, here's these two girls that were, you know, n- normal women. Right. They, up with an idea you know one of them went to fit them one of them was I think she was an actress before but not you know Hollywood or anything yet right and um they built this amazing company of you know track suits and velour stuff and which isn't leather or anything super expensive and track suits were 500 when I left that's for the city 490 something so these women are just like so interesting. They were so amazing. They wasn't their vision. Wasn't their vision something about like the average woman or mom and like the comfort level of the outfits that they need and the, like, I feel like that was like their initial vision. Am I wrong? Yes. No, it was, it was the tracksuit. It was that like bring, like making women feel comfortable in like, everyday wear like sweats you know like kind of reinventing that comfort to be so basically they started the athleisure movement they did they did and they are some of the like the most some of the most impressive people i've ever met um they eventually moved on they sold juicy couture i believe they each made out with 27.5 million dollars wow plus a deal to be creative directors for i think five years Wow. And that's a, that's probably a great salary. Yeah. Um, but they were, they were so fabulous. I mean, they would come in. Uh, she later married John Taylor from Duran Duran. So mm-hmm. Gila and John would come into the store and they're matching Austin Martins and like park them in the back. And <laughs> she was always wearing like, you know, Louboutin knee highs on a Tuesday with her like Birkin and, you know, they, the, when they were both in there, they, they would go have lunch and like come back with all these amazing like shopping stuff that they did on Rodeo, which none of us could do. Right, right. Um, they were always very nice. They always came up and asked us what we thought, what we liked, what we didn't like. You know, we, 
I mentioned once to Gila on a walkthrough that I really liked, like the, the that I wanted to be a buyer someday, that I really wanted to get into buying. And um, her and the person that was the president at that time, they made plans that anytime planning and allocation were in the store, I would walk it with them. Um, oh. So they, it was amazing. I mean, that was also a huge learning curve for me to manage, you know, a store of that size on Rodeo. Right. With, with that type of clientele and everything yeah, too. Yes. Yes. And, and learn the names and, and study reports and, you know, directives. We had a really expensive visuals team from Barney's. So I just learned what I think from Juicy, it was kind of, they created this world. The second, the second you stepped into that store, you weren't on Rodeo anymore. You weren't, you know, a normal person anymore. You entered this amazing, weird new land that was all fancy and the the floors were marble and we had huge like winding staircases and the ceilings were super high and it was just a full experience. So- I was just going to say it was an experience. And I feel like that's what these higher end luxury stores want you to feel like it is an experience when you go in there. You're not just shopping at wherever Macy's, right? It's an experience that you're, you're going there for the experience. And I think that's what makes these brands so strong and that's what makes people pay more. And that's, you know, I, I, from them, I learned if you look at my store, Every single item that is put up is edited. It's, you know, color corrected. It's, um, everything has a clean white background. I've got my little frames. If you look at my Instagram, every single post is planned. So it is aesthetically pleasing. And I think that for me, it is very important because I've seen the effect of that. I've seen the effect of people walking in and literally looking at their faces with these like looks of like they're in awe and that, you know, just, it was so cool to watch people walk in for the first time and take pictures of everything. And it was, everything was so grandiose. And I just think it was, it taught me the importance of of creating that, that story or that presence or, or that feeling for the customer. And like I said, that I think they took the entire Barney's team when I was there for visuals. Mm -hmm. So our windows were, you've never seen anything like it. I remember one holiday they did like a full, it was like a, it was like the day after Christmas where the tables all like all the foods left over and the wines (laughs) tipped over. So they, really stuck that on all to a table and then flipped it over and then found a way to hang it. And it, it, it was art. So I think that for me, that was an influence on how, how I wanted to build my brand and what experience I wanted to give my customers. And, you know, if I'm selling high end stuff and I'm asking them to pay a price, I should transform their, their life for a second. You know, they should walk into my store or, or browse my store and get lost in like a cool space, you know? Yeah. And, and we'll definitely talk about this, um, later on the podcast too, and just how we both kind of approach that and how we deal with our virtual stores and how we want to present ourselves to our clients. And that's actually one of the newsletters that you had recently, um, put out there to everyone too. So we'll definitely talk about that. So now Um, you worked in all these different places, right? You, you've gained a lot. I want to talk about one more though, because I think was the most crucial job I've ever had. Go ahead. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Kits in Los Angeles. No. That literally was a celebrity magnet. If you Google 
kits in Los Angeles right now, you will I'm gonna see. I'm going to do it right now. Hold on. Do it because Kitson. you will see a never-ending parade of Paris Hilton, Nicole Richie, Britney Spears, all the Kardashians, um, God, Ryan, oh. anyone you can think of. Is it there. like a department store? What is it? No, it was a boutique. Oh. And the owner was both really hard to work with but also a marketing genius like I think that is the person that I have learned the most and when I was in there it was so hard because he was tough he was really tough and you know it was it was kind of like sometimes it was like those devil wears Prada moments where oh my god I have a story about like necklaces that I'll tell you someday but (laughs) it was very 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 challenging but I so I was a buyer for them I bought everything that was skincare hair care perfume uh gifting anything in that realm and candles like stuff like that so um it was amazing it was amazing because it was the first time that I wasn't on the selling side you know trying to get stuff out the door right you were actually buying it I was buying and, and, you know, it's very intimidating where you're, when you're signing, you know, $80,000 orders for someone else's money and you're thinking, oh my God, this better sell. Right. I <laughs> hope this does well. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, it, it was a huge responsibility. I was, I was young too. I, I couldn't believe I got that job. So, you know, I, I learned so much about costs and reports and just the importance of like having those velocity items, like the cheap stuff that just runs out the door mixed in with these high price point items, because it kind of levels off the, um, the numbers, just like your averages and stuff. So, um, it was, it, I think that being a buyer for Kitson was life changing. Um, and I think, and you know, what's funny. I, I don't, I didn't realize everything I learned at all of these places until like two years ago or three years ago. I, I don't think I'd ever put it together. And I think that's what I try to tell people. It's like, you don't know how much you've learned unless you measure yourself from now to a year from now, you know, and see how far you've come because it was, it's amazing. I feel like every job I ever had gave me a little piece of the puzzle and I didn't really understand what they were for until I built the global collective and then they all fit. And I was like, Oh my God, this is why I had to go through this and this, you know? Yeah. I feel the same way. Like all of my years of retail and even my, when I was teaching all of that stuff, I've been applying to my little small business, every single aspect of it. And it's crazy when you think about it, because you never anticipate all your different roles in these jobs to apply to this small little <laughs> side hustle that I have. And for you, a full-time job. And you're like, oh no, I'm using every single thing that I've ever learned, every life experience that I've ever had in any of these roles I'm using today. It's fascinating. I think it's amazing, I think it's amazing because it's, it comes full circle. You're like, I get it. I get why I had to straighten racks every 10 minutes. Like I get why I (laughs) run up and get that lady, her Coca-Cola. Like I get why I had to input every single thing into this computer. Like it all finally makes sense. So I, it's great. It is. It's awesome. It's awesome to see all that. And then you kind of feel like, okay, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Like I'm in that weird place right now. And people always ask me like, would you go full-time? Would you full-time resell? And right, like in this current moment, no. Um, yeah. But it could it happen in the future. 
yeah, like I feel like I'm setting myself up to get to that point if I ever want to. Um, but it's just like, I'm in this weird, like transitional phase in my business. And, um, you know, we talked about it a little bit before and it's just like, I don't know where I fit yet, but I know that everything I'm doing is leading me to that point where I know where I'll fit, you know? Yeah. And I think there's a big pressure right now to be your own boss and be an entrepreneur and like do your thing and, you know, yeah. And it is, it's amazing, but it's also a roller coaster from, you know, heaven and hell. Like there's days where you are sitting on top of the world and thinking, oh my God, I'm going to totally make it. Like, where's my yacht in a couple of years? <laughs> yeah, right, and right. other days where you're like, oh my God, how am I going to pay for grocery? Like, yeah, it, it's so extreme that I think it's smart to, the way I did it was I didn't just quit. I had a big corporate job that I, that I really liked and I had the best boss ever. And I was on the, on the brand team for a huge uh, national beer company. And I just started having these weird moments where I'm like, I don't even drink beer. You know, yeah, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I loved what I did. Like I did all of the marketing plans for, for our nat like our biggest brand. Um, I was part of that team and I was in charge of retail activation. So anything that was used to sell our product, I would come up with and by quarter and anything from a keychain to a neon to a collaboration with vans or whatever. Um, so it, it, it took time, but I didn't just quit because this isn't the time to take a gamble on eating or not eating, you know, like right. if you have a job right now and it's paying your bills and, and reselling is giving you the extra money, it's, it's okay it's great. It's a great setup. And I think if you want to go full-time reseller, save up, you know, I saved up a yep. lot of money. I also made a big mistake with money, but I did save a lot. So I had something to fall back on. I didn't, you know, I didn't just quit and become a reseller right away. I waited till I hit my safety mark and then I quit. I feel like there's a big misconception with that too, like with social media, that people just leave their jobs one day, right? And they start making six figures, you know, and I think that's not at all how it works. Like you need to have that safety net. You need to have a plan in place. You need to make sure. I wrote, I wrote a blog about that because I, I saved a ton of money. I had a lot of money in the bank. And then I also spent like $15,000 on stupid mistakes we we all do it we all do it (laughs) I turned around one day and I was like did somebody steal my money no no I managed to spend it because I was still spending the way I would when I had my corporate job so it was like rude awakening but I do I do agree with you I think there's a misconception right now with social media that being your boss is this magical thing that just happens overnight and like there's never a bad day in the world. Oh, no, no. There are some really tough days. There are some tough days that don't make it to social media. And if you can hold out as long as you can at a job that still allows you to do to both, why not? That means your mm-hmm. other job is funding your reselling, you know? Yep. It's so true. So now that people know a bit more about you, let's talk about, so now you leave your corporate job and like, what was your plan? What was your vision? And then how did you get to where you are today? Um, it's a long story, so I'll give you like the gist of it. I, I'll probably write a blog about it just because a lot of people ask me, but it is long. <laughs> so <laughs> cliff notes. Uh, cliff note of it is I, my boyfriend is German and he'd been living in LA with me 
and he did not want to be there anymore. And I was supposed to quit and leave to Germany with my savings and start, you know, like do this adventure thing. And then I got that huge promotion. So I ended up, so we ended up staying like two extra years in LA. Um, and then when I quit, I was doing really well with reselling. I didn't have the global collective yet. I was just at that point, I think I was just flipping, you know, I, anything I'd find that was underpriced, I would sell for more. And I was solely on eBay. Um, I did a little bit of Poshmark. Um, I don't even think Tradesy was a thing yet. Um, and eBay was, I started reselling by mistake. I worked at All Saints before. I didn't mention that. And All Saints was amazing, but I didn't do anything except have fun, wear pretty clothes and give celebrities. So <laughs> I wouldn't say I learned a ton. It was just really fun. Right. Um, I, I used to get like, I think they did 2,500 a season. So you got like $5,000 a year or something like that for free. Oh, wow. It's amazing. I mean, that I used to have so many, I, all my, I, my whole closet was all saints at that point. So. I mean, not terrible. <laughs> not a bad deal at all like it was really easy and um so I had the this I remember it perfectly it was this beaded python dress and it used to be one of my uniforms so I wore it like you know often just to the store um and when I was done with it it was beautiful but I couldn't look at it anymore because it was my uniform right so I put it online for high because I knew that people would you know lowball even before I was a reseller I was like mm, I don't trust people um so I put it high and it ended up selling for almost what it was on sale for at the store that's Dude. crazy so I was like oh my god am I sitting on the like gold mine here I sold all my kits and stuff for crazy pricing uh, and that was it so that was before I quit when I quit I had been doing reselling for like a year or two just for fun. Um, and I had saved all this money because I've decided that I didn't want to, I went through this whole soul search thing and I just knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. Um, so I was like, I know I have a lot of money. Not a, I don't have millions, right? I just had a pretty decent chunk saved. And I was like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to live off my reselling because it could cover my bills at that point. Nothing else but my bills. Um, and I will, you know, just figure out what I want to do. Take a year off and whatever. And I did that and I did it. And then I ended up doing that for two years full time. Um, I ended up making a lot of mistakes. Uh, not with reselling actually just in life. Um, it's kind of, are you still there? Yeah, I'm right here. Oh, I'm sorry. It, it took my screen off. Let me, oh no. Oh, okay. You're back. <laughs> um, I was like, oh my God, did I just talk to the air for no, I'm right here? <laughs> um, yeah. So I forgot where I was. Uh, you saved up some money, you made some mistakes. Oh, I made some big mistakes. As I, like, as I said, I was still spending the way that I did when I had a corporate job. So that was some tough lessons to learn, but, um, I did it. I, you know, it was going great. Right. It was, it was, it was definitely what I love to do. And I think that's when I realized that reselling wasn't this hobby that I had on the side. It was my passion. Mm -hmm. And I had to like go work 
and do something that wasn't my passion for 10, 12 hours a day. And then, and then do this on my free time. And it was just, it was so nice when I quit and I just could do what I loved. And I would work for hours because I loved doing it and I would source for hours. And, you know, my boyfriend would be like, where are you? You've been gone for like, you know, all day. And I'm like, oh, well, I hit up all the consignment stores in LA plus Nordstrom Rack. So, you know, full, full day. Yep. Uh, and it was, it was great. I, I did it for a while. I stopped doing it because we decided to like take a year off and kind of go travel and, um, you know, just go to Europe and just do whatever for that year. And so I did it. I gave everything up. I sold off all my inventory because I didn't know how I could pull it off. Not you not being constantly in the country, you know? Um, so I sold it. I sold it. I stopped reselling for a little bit. And then that's where it gets long. I drove myself nuts because I didn't know what to do with myself. I was super lost. You know, I felt like I had finally found what I loved to do. And, but I then I left it to go do something really cool, which was like travel and see the world and stuff. So it was, yeah. I was conflicted. It was like a good place to be, but it was a dark place because I wasn't sure if I could ever do what I love doing, you know, for right. a while. Right. Um, I struggle with that too, because I'm a worker. I like to work. I never stop working. So, I mean, at the age of 16, I had three jobs. Like that's just who I am. So I can't imagine like dropping something completely that I love and that I enjoy doing. It's so hard because yeah. I was, it's, it sounds bratty. I mean, I, I dropped it to go travel the world, but at the same time, like I didn't work for six months. And I think that's the first time ever that my boyfriend and I were about to break up. I am not a person that cannot work. I, I need to be busy. I'm the same you know? way. And it, so, it causes, it causes rifts in a relationship because like is. my husband's the opposite. Like, I mean, he's a very hard worker. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but like he works his one job and he's good and he does very well. I, mm -hmm. even if I did really well with one job would still need to do something else. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. Even if I was making $150,000 a year, just me alone, I would still need to do something else for myself. I think there's something in all of our blood, all of us resellers that, we just, we're hustlers. And when you take that away, it, same thing. I've been working since I was 17. Like the first time I didn't have to work, I lost myself a little bit. And so fast forward, like a bunch of stuff happened and I, you know, we were still traveling and I was like, I had this one night where everything kind of came into my head and there was clarity. And I was like, I'm going to build a sword again. Like I'm going to go full force, build a brand. I'm not going to just resell anymore. I'm going to do it, you know, from the ground up, it's going to be something bigger and better and whatever. And I mapped it all out there. Um, I was in Germany. I, but I made the logo. I came up with a concept. I came up with the price, price structure, like how it would work. And the only way it would work is if my best friend in San Diego would want to work with me and be the processor and like the person that takes pictures and stuff. So we'd be the team where she takes the process, the product in, and, um, she has to send me very specific pictures. It's a whole thing, but I thought I could make it work. And I did, I made it work and I was so happy. I was so, so happy because, you know, I think, 
I think our brains tell us constantly, you can't do that. That can't be done. That can't be done. And I think with the right amount of motivation and creativity, everything can be done. It's just not the way you imagined it, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think we have this vision in our head of how things are supposed to be. Yes. It doesn't work that way. And if it does, it's great, but it's very rare that it happens that way. And, and I think that's a problem too, is we have this vision in our head of how things are supposed to work. And, and we can't get out of that box that we've been put in since we were born. You know, things must go this way. Like these are the rules of life. And I think I was able to, you know, manufacture my reality. I was like, okay, I can't be there all the time because we're on this plan of traveling and seeing the world. But I can, you know, twist it a little bit to where it works, where I can have my dream in my store and still be able to have my other dream, which was to, you know, travel the world with, with my boyfriend. So it worked out. I created it completely, um, in like a week, everything was set up and I was ready to go. And I wasn't even in the U S yet. We are literally twins. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I told you we have a lot in common <laughs> like give me an idea I'm gonna sit down I'm gonna figure it out in less than 24 hours and I'm gonna implement it within the next couple of days thanks was, I know I, it was so crazy I had like a I had a logo a like a, a name a structure what I wanted to find I even started getting product sent before I got back so wow. I yeah, yeah you were invested I, I was going to do it and I did it and it worked. And my, having my friend support me was, you know, the biggest gift. I mean, obviously I paid her, not like free labor, but the fact that, you know, I trust her and she knows how I work and it, you know, she knows I'm so crazy with certain things and like how I function. And it was a blessing. Like she really was a huge part of this working out. That's great. So then you start doing this, you have this idea, you have this plan. The Global Collective Co. came when? That is the Global Collective. Global Collective okay. was that week. <laughs> <laughs> then it was born. <laughs> it happened and it was on, it was ready to go. And I just so started. For people who don't know what the Global Collective Co. is, give them like, like what's the Global Collective Co.'s like mission or it's like, what's its motto? So the Global Collective started as a carefully curated collection of pre-owned, new, and pre-loved designer goods. Um, It is now a community because it's kind of transitioned into, I didn't even realize this was going to happen. You know, I started my store and my Instagram just as product, just shoppers, just customers, just pictures of items. And I would get a lot of, of... of questions and I started getting resellers following me and they would ask me questions about authenticity and stuff. And I realized that I, I really strongly believe that there's room for all of us at the top. Like I don't believe in hoarding my secrets or like not telling anyone how I know that Chanel is real or whatever, because I think it, I think there's room for everyone. I think we're all different and we'd all run stores differently. And if you and I were in the same store, we'd probably pick up totally different things. 100%. So 100%. I don't, I yeah, say I don't, this all the time. Like I go shopping with my reseller friends that are local to me, which there, I mean, there's a good number of us that we kind of meet up and we go, we all grab different things. So like, it's not competition. Like I could be in a store with eight other resellers and none of us are going to get the same thing. Like we might gravitate oh. towards some things that are similar, but there's enough out there for everyone. 
I, I totally, I 100% believe in that. So I started kind of answering DMs and helping people that way. I met Jennifer, uh, Jen Warren's uh, British posher in February of this year on, uh, in Los Angeles. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, I met her in Los Angeles. We had a wonderful four and a half hour date. Um, I had never met her before. We just talked about business and life and goals and it was, it was wonderful. I do encourage anyone to reach out to girls in your area, meet up with them. Um, no one understands you like your reseller or cyber friends because we're all in this boat together. Yep. So um, and she just was asking me, you know, why don't you, why isn't your face and your Instagram? Why aren't you a part of it? And I was like, I don't like to put, I don't want my pictures and like, I don't yeah. know. I was being kind of stuck about it. And then I kind of, I guess I already did that. Like when people would message me, I would like send them a picture of what I was doing or customers. I would be like, Oh, just so you don't think I'm like some scammer bot somewhere. Like this is who I am. Right. So kind of put a face to a name, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, that all was just clicking. And I was like, I should, I should integrate myself into the brand and like give it like a little bit of a twist so that resellers can learn from this. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I started posting like just like stuff about brands, you know, Louis Vuitton serial numbers, how to read them about Balenciaga serial numbers. And it started building and building and building and building. Um, but it wasn't until the Corona situation pandemic where we're all on lockdown that sales kind of came to a halt you know mm -hmm. I still had sales trickling in but I had had it so easy from day one that I had never experienced anything similar to this um so I had time on my hands and I was like well I guess I'll start focusing on social media now um, right like what else am I gonna do yeah, just waiting for these sales to trickle in. <laughs> and so, and I stopped buying because I'm like, I don't know exactly. You know, I still buy, but not in huge amounts like I was before because I, nobody knew what was going to happen. And right. I started with the authentic authentication stuff. I started doing like luxury brand knowledge and, and girl, it's so crazy. I think I, I had like, I had like, 1700 followers at the end of April and I'm almost I'm at 45 you're at 4470 I'm looking at your Instagram right now and it's so crazy I mean yep. I and I love this new community I love I was telling my boyfriend about it the other day it's so cool because I didn't imagine what it's become I didn't see far enough into it you know like right in the name of it, 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 all of it was built, I think, to, to have it be this community of like women wanting to, you know, grow their business and get better. And, and me being able to share all those years of experience that I had. And it's been, it's been, it's been the light at the end of this tunnel. Like it's been the thing that has kept me going. And um, I haven't seen my boyfriend in six months. We got separated with all this pandemic, uh, border country closing BS. So, um, it literally was the only thing I had that right. was like happy for me, you know, yeah. like I love doing it and I love the content creation and I love illustrator and Photoshop. And it was like, 
social media became my happy place and not social media. I show off my, you know, expensive stuff or my face or whatever, whatever people do. I, like it became this happy place where I teach people what I do and, and they can implement this in their business. And, you know, it's really cool when you can flip a Chanel and make, you know, a lot of money off of it, but it's, it's, exponentially better when someone reaches out and says, Hey, you know, because of your article, I was able to buy this and flip it for this. Or, you know, I get people send me stuff like that all the time. And it's, it's so rewarding. Mm -hmm. It's it's fulfilling. It's, it's showing that what you're doing and what you're putting out there and all that time and energy that you put into these different posts and creating these images and whatever else it is, right. Whether it's the blog post or the newsletter, it's like, okay, it's reaching people. People are receptive to it. I'm doing something that's helpful to, you know, the people that are in my audience, in my target market, all that kind of stuff. And it, it circles back to customer service and what you were doing when you were in Nordstrom. Yeah. And I think, well, I also wanted to be a history teacher up until I learned that teachers don't make that much. And I was yeah. like, yeah, no, fun fact. Teachers do not make enough. Teachers should make, you know, more than CEOs, but yeah. Um, Uh, But at the same time, I was talking to a follower that's a teacher. And now that I'm older, you know, I think when I was younger, I was like, I want to make money and blah, 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 move up or whatever. And now I've realized that teachers don't make that much money, but they have that fulfillment that I just found recently, you know, like they are teaching the future of of the world. Like they get to educate these little beings and, or these, you know, 17, 14, whatever, however old you are. And I think that that's what was missing from everything I've done before is like, I I found a way to move up. I found a way to climb the ladder. I found a way to make money, but I had never found that like sense of fulfillment until recently when I started doing this and people were learning and people were sharing what they learned and what they were able to do. And it's, it's just, it's so gratifying. It's so, it's so cool. And I think at the end of the day, you know, if you peel back all the layers of human nastiness, like, you know, greed and money and all this stuff, I think we all just want to help. I think we all want to do good. And I think that's kind of where I found it is I, you know, I love reselling. I love designer stuff. I love the art part of it. I love the, the, you know, designing, but, but all of that also gave me this fulfillment, this, like, I am helping people do better you know like in their lives in their business so that's how I feel too with like so when I started reselling it was just like first I've been reselling since I was 16 without even knowing it right like just flipping things to buy new things or to pay for college books or whatever it was and then in the last year and a half I started to resell to save for you know, whatever it is that I want to save for or to pay off debt. So I paid off my undergraduate student loans. That was great. Now I'm working towards paying off my graduate loans and we're saving for a house and like all these different goals that we have. But in the process, I've now built a brand and a business that I never anticipated on happening whatsoever. But I guess what happens when you start an Instagram page, right? And people start to gravitate towards you. And then I, you know, started this podcast with Lori and we produce content this way and we have a following with the podcast and we give all different types of information we have different people on we're teaching we're learning together kind of thing and then I started my YouTube channel and it's like I never ever would have thought in a million years that I'd be teaching people in this way but like 
I'm a teacher by trade. It's just what I do. I've always been in the helping profession. I'm still in a helping, I'm still in a helping profession. I work for the state and I work in unemployment and temporary disability. So like, I'm always helping people. I'm always involved. So I feel like this reselling has evolved who I am and it's brought me to where I am right now. And it's, I'm able to produce content for people. I'm creating different types of content. I enjoy creating content. I enjoy creating images. I enjoy doing all that kind of stuff. Right. And I'm helping someone who might be a little lost or maybe they've been doing it for a while and they're just kind of stuck and they want some fresh ideas or they need to bounce ideas off of someone or, Hey, you know, I've been thrifting these type of items. I see that you're finding these items. How do you do it? Kind of thing. Like, in any way that I can help, I try to help the best way that I can. And it's just so amazing how one small thing at, in, to flip clothing has now turned into me being a part of a community, teaching and learning. It's crazy. And it's an amazing community. I think that, you know, you have this group of women who are obviously, you know, entrepreneurial by nature and they, you know, they have drive, they, we're all very like-minded. I think we, it's a great community. I just really like being a part of it. I'm sad that I didn't know about it. I didn't know about it until this time around until, you know, I, I think I didn't find out about this huge community until like a year ago because I just did it by myself. I I never realized that this was happening. And I think it's so cool to find, to to have access to so many women that are like-minded and want the same things and have the same goals. And it's a great community that everyone's so interactive. Everyone's so sweet. Everyone celebrates everyone's victories. Like I know there's been one-offs and stuff and some people have a different opinion, but so far I have gotten nothing but positivity from this community. And I just, I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. I I mean, there are always going to be people with negative attitudes, right? No matter what community you're a part of, but for the most part, yes, the reselling community is very supportive. Everyone likes to cheer everyone else on. Um, People show up to whatever you're doing. You know, if you're doing a live, people hop on, even if they can't stay the whole time they make sure they come and say hello. Like it's really nice to have that. Um, and I think it's across the board, whether it's eBay, Poshmark, it doesn't really matter where you sell. Um, it's just resellers in general, just so open to helping one another. And I think it's because like you said before, it can get lonely. Um, people are doing this full time. You don't have that coworker that's always there to bounce ideas off of. So you kind of go to your online friends and say, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Like, what are your thoughts? Have you seen anyone else do it? Like, do you think this would be okay? You know, just to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, I had a friend comment about it recently. She's like, it's, it seems like a really cool community. And I'm like, it, it really is. People yeah. are very supportive. Yeah. And I love that about it. And, you know, I, I'm happy to see new people coming into the community and I want to make sure that me personally, I'm able to provide different types of content that maybe I wanted to see when I first started that wasn't necessarily out there. And that kind of brings us to what your Instagram page has kind of become. I mean, you started off by just posting your goods that you were selling, which by the way, if you have not looked at Issa's Instagram page, it is like spot on, perfect. The colors are great. Everything is clear and concise and the letters and like everything, like everything about the images are perfect. Um, so you need to look at it. You need to give her a follow, but so your Instagram has now become basically a learning forum for people, which I think is really great. 
So you have the knowledge about brands and luxury items. It's what you do. And now you have these different segments where you're doing real or fake, or you're posting about sourcing, or you're posting about your authentication services. So why don't you kind of tell everyone how that all came about? Yes. So like I said, earlier this year, I decided to sh like switch gears into more of an educational page. I've opened another page and it's shop the GCC. Yeah. And that's strictly followed that. <laughs> yeah, if you just want to look at pretty things and don't want to hear my spiel, you can go there. Um, <laughs> especially because I have a lot of clients on, I think that's where it gets a little confusing right now is I have a lot of clients still on my Instagram. So I have to keep it a little bit um, mysterious. A lot of girls do like the flips, you know, where they'll post how much they paid for how, and how much they sold it for. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to do that because I do have clients that have bought thousands of dollars for me on there. Right. And I don't want them going, oh, really? Like, you know, you're it, like, I don't want to put them in their face that I might have paid, you know, 50 bucks for something and they right. bought it whatever. Right. Um, so I try, it's hard because I want to keep them, you know, at, I want to, I want them to feel comfortable still at the global collective Co. because they were the people that started it. They funded my business. Right. Uh, but I do think that those same customers or clients will appreciate learning about authenticity because they shop pre-owned designer goods. And so I think it's a common ground where if, whether you're a buyer or a reseller, you want to know about this stuff, whether you're buying for yourself or to flip, you should know how to authenticate a bag and like, you know, what signs to look for and what, what kind, what certain body, like what styles are which from every brand. And I think that's something that's common ground. Um, I opened shop the GCC. So hopefully someday it kind of becomes the product side of it. And then I can share more uh, in-depth information on the Global Collective. Um, but for now, that's why it's important that resellers sign up for the newsletter. I feel more comfortable sharing stuff there because it's mostly resellers that are signed up. Yeah. Um, I just don't want to wave it in people's faces on Instagram, what I pay and what I flip for. Um, yeah. And I think that's fine. I don't typically share what my cost of goods is unless it's like some crazy situation that my listeners have heard of before. And I've mentioned it before, but like there was that one instance I found, and I talked to you about this too. I found that vintage Christian Dior dress at the bins. I paid less than a dollar for it and I flipped it for 1400. Like that's not the norm, but yeah. in that instance, I shared it, but also my Instagram following is resellers. I don't have customer. I mean, some of them are customers, but there are resellers too, you know? So I don't have yeah. that type of clientele. So I get where you're coming from because it, yeah, it, it's kind of like a weird mix. Like you got it. You want to share, but at the same time it's you have customers weird. and it's, it's weird. It's very weird. I did one, I did a couple, I did like a few months ago when I started all this, um, I did a couple where I flipped like, you know, some Manolo Blahnik, some Jimmy Choo, like, I don't remember what they were. They're in my archive somewhere. Um, but I put the cost price in the selling price and my cousin messaged me and she's like, dude, if I was a customer, I would not want to see that. So that was the first time I was like, yikes, yeah. you know, I shouldn't, 
I don't want to alienate them because they do support me constantly. And I think when you have a higher end, you know, product like price point, you have more repeat customers. I have clients, like I have girls that I just, as soon as I get stuff in, I'll just send them pictures, like text them stuff. Um, And I have people that have bought from me over three or four times. So when she said that to me, I was kind of like, shoot, I wish I, I could show people that this can be done, but I can't right now with my mix. I just don't think it makes sense for, for my clients to see that, but I will be doing, um, I will be doing that on the newsletters. I'll just make sure that all the emails are resellers <laughs> and, um, and I, I am working on something that I think I told you just kind of like, I have a test group of people that I'm doing it with right now. A lot of people ask me about like pricing strategy and how I got to these price points and how, you know, what I, the, the most common question I get is, you know, how do I know what to buy and how much to pay for an item? So all of these things, it, it, it isn't a whim. It's not a guess. It's not preference. It's all numbers and reports. Yeah. And it's very specific to everyone's closet. It's like I was telling you earlier, like you don't go from mall brands to a Chanel flat bag. You yeah. have to take certain steps within your closet to increase like certain KPIs that you have. So you can get comfortable making those leaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a test group right now. I think eventually I will roll it out into a course or a class. Like, I don't know if it'll be a course or a Zoom class. Yeah. Uh, And the point is, I think if you've been following me for a while or the people that are listening, my whole thing is education. I don't want to tell you what to do. I want you to learn what I do so you can apply it to your own closet. Right. And I think it's important because... like I said, we're all different. If we all walked into one store, we'd all pick up different things for different reasons. So I think that, you know, I could tell people what I do, exactly what I do. But the point is that you can learn what I do and apply it to your business. Um, and the answer to what brands do I buy is, you know, it's in your numbers and it's a way of analyzing things. And the question of how much do you pay for goods is like, you should never think about that. I think, you know, I think that the, like when you limit, this is something that I repeat on every podcast, every interview, any, not any live. Um, when you limit your cost of goods, you are unwillingly limit, limiting your potential profit. Yeah. So what happens is I see a lot of big resellers say, you know, oh, I only stay below a $15 cost of goods or, you know, buy low, sell high or whatever. And I think people assume that means like stay at $10, you know? Right. Right. When the, in actuality, it's just buy the item at a lower cost of goods yeah. so you can flip it at a higher cost. Yes. And so I think cost of goods shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a limit on it. I think, I think the way you should look at it is not, you know, I can only pay or how much should I pay for this? The question is how much can I make off of this? And so then if the, if the profit is going to heavily outweigh the cost, then, then it's a no brainer, whether it's 20 bucks or $200 or a thousand dollars, you know? Yeah. I think the other part of it too is understanding that the money that you are making, so the profits that you're making in your business and how to reinvest it. And I think that comes with just a lot of practice and understanding the numbers, like you said, like understanding 
what's selling in your business, what's selling, how's it selling, what like what's the sell through rate, like all of those things. You need to look into all of those aspects of your business and then understanding that in the beginning of you growing your business, it's about you just reinvesting every single time. Like yeah. there aren't any real profits. If you want to grow, you're not actually taking profits out. And if you do, it's a very small margin. Everything yeah. else is going right back in. You're living. That's, that's one of the misconceptions, right? You're your own boss and you do what you want with your money. No, you're your own boss. And all of a sudden you had a child and everything goes to this child first. So like, you know, like, uh, we send packaging out with everything. I, dust bags go with every single uh, pair of shoes. So like there's a big investment when we run out of dust bags, I've got to spend, you know, a good chunk of my profit on dust bags. So it's like this kid that always needs stuff like, you know, the postage or the, I have to pay my girls that help me. And so I think that's kind of like, you know, I think Instagram shows one thing and yeah. then the back scenes of like running your own business is totally different, but with the cost of goods and that I, it just, the other way I see it is, for example, I just posted this the other day and I, I rarely post numbers because of the same thing with my clients and stuff, but I have, and this is pretty typical. Um, it's not like a one-off thing, but I had a pending balance of like 800 something on posh. And that was from five sales. And the point of me sharing that was not the 800, not look at this money sitting there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply the point is look at this math, right? Like I got paid, like this is the money that came back and I have to pay out stuff from that and whatever. But the point is I only had to process five items to make that happen, right. you know? Right. And for me, it's like, you don't want to get rid of your high velocity stuff. If you've got a brand that works, if you're killing it with Madewell or whatever it is, you keep that. You don't ever get rid of that because that's your bread and butter. Like that's, you know, what's, what's flipping the fastest, but right, that's your guarantee. That's your guarantee. But why wouldn't you want to give yourself an hourly raise? And for me, it's like, if I can, if something costs a hundred dollars, but I know that I can flip it and make 200, you know, make a, an extra hundred. It's like you do that on one item. That's one item you photograph, one item you process, one item you list, one item you ship. Whereas if you're running lower cost of goods, lower profits, you've got to do five times the work to, to make the same amount of money I made on one pair of shoes. I am 100% with you. And, and I've talked to you about this too, where like mm -hmm. I'm struggling. No, I was struggling with paying up. I'm learning to pay up because I started off as a thrift store mm -hmm. reseller. Right. And, and I'm learning as I'm growing that, you know, it, it changes, right. That, that whole mentality yeah. changes. I'm going to play devil's advocate and some people are going to say, but Isa, I live in this really rural town and we don't have those kind of brands and I want to be able to flip more higher end brands and I just don't know how to do it. What would you tell a person that has that question? 
I would tell them that 90% of my product is sourced online. That's exactly what I would say too, <laughs> because that's the majority that like, that's where I get it. 90% of the time is not, online. And this is not, I was explaining this to you. I, I'm not a snob. I like thrifting. I usually go for like the house stuff when yeah. I thrift. It's usually like for fun and for me. Um, but I have not been in a thrift store except one time this year when I went in for a friend that she asked me to see if there was anything good at the LA ones. Um, and I can't afford it because I have to pay my girls so that I can gallivant around, you know, (laughs) and travel the world, (laughs) travel the world. So I, it's not that I'm snobby and I only do designer. I have to stay at a certain price point so that I can pay my girls and make a make a good profit off of it. Um, so that's the price I pay to not always be in town. But, um, I think it's important for people to realize too, that it is the the amount of inventory that exists in the world in general is just insane. So it's, you don't have to limit yourself to just the bins or Goodwill or savers or whatever. If you go online, there are people getting rid of their stuff every single day. Like people are always getting rid of stuff. Always. And I think, I think that, I think thrifting is amazing because you are able to get such crazy deals on like brand new stuff sometimes, right? It just depends what people dropped off. And bin shoppers, like I get it. You're paying like cents for anything you find, but you're also paying time. And I think a lot of us are bad with putting our time into the equation. Yes, no one, no one looks at their time. And I think for me, I would rather source online and pay up. And I literally didn't have to leave my pajamas or my home. And the product just literally gets shipped to me where instead of spending hours filtering through a ton of stuff to find 10 items or 20, you know, whatever, that's just my, for me, time is important. So for me, I take into account how many hours I spent doing that. And when I went, when I, the last time I went to a Goodwill was this year to, for my friend who wanted me to check the LA Goodwill, um, And I found her, I think I found her like four items, but I was in there for like an hour. I was going to say anywhere from one to two hours. Yeah. And so when I left there, I was like happy that I found stuff for her because I didn't want her to, I told her so much about the LA Goodwills. And then like, of course that day there was nothing. Right. Um, So I was happy I found those items for her. But when I left, I was like, oh my God, that was like time burglary. I just spent an hour. So now when these sell, even if I made 20 bucks, you know, if it was my items, if I made 20 bucks per item, I was there a whole hour. And then basically didn't make anything. Yeah. Plus the time you should like list and steam and photograph. And we have to take into account all of that. So for me, I like paying up because I think it's less time, you know, even in the consignment stores, it's more expensive, but you know, it's better stuff. It's already been sorted through. Right. Uh, this is for higher price points. I wouldn't do that if I was doing like, you know, the, the, the mid tier or brand mall, like mall brand stuff. Like that makes sense to go to the bins and stuff. But, um, I think you have to think of timing and I think, and think in a certain way, people that shop at the bins and at Goodwill or probably the bins more, you're kind of spoiled you know, 100%. I'm not a bin shopper because I don't personally like it. I find, I feel like, first of all, I have to drive two hours to get 
to the bins that I like. The bins in Boston is great, but like it's closer, but I just, I, they're deep bins. It's uncomfortable for me. I just don't like it. It's not as big. It's not a ton of space. Like people are all over me. I don't like it. Um, preference, but I think even the two hours driving there, you'd have to put into the equation. 100%. So I'm spending two, so it's two hours to go and two hours to come back roughly, right? Even if it's an hour and a half, whatever, we're going to round up and say it's two hours to go and two hours to come back. Cause I'm going to stop and I'm going to get coffee or something. Right. Then I'm spending at least four to five, maybe even six hours at the bins because I just drove to through two states to get to the bins. Yeah. Now I'm going to spend those six hours there. Then I'm going to leave and then I'm going to stop, get something to eat. And then I'm going to hit up whatever consignment stores or thrift stores are in the area because I'm there. And then I'm going to drive home. So I've literally wasted an entire day and I've maybe, maybe come home with 30 pieces. Maybe I'm very picky. So some people might go to the bins. They might leave with a hundred pieces. That will never be me. That's I not just, why I run my business. I just actually, I just yesterday bought two pairs of shoes. And let me tell you, I literally did it from my bed. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> um, I bought a pair of Prada sandals, brand new, newer model with box and dust bags for 55 for plus 15 shipped. What? Yes. That is insane. Yes. So, I mean, and then I bought a pair of Manolo's, which I wish were my size. They are not. Um, and so this is my problem. If I sell luxury all the time, I would just keep it all. <laughs> Oh, I'm so happy I'm not close to the product all the time because you would just I'm bad. I used to be really bad. I used to want to keep everything. I'm better now um, because it has to be a business. Otherwise, I'm just hoarding designer stuff. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, I bought those for like 75 plus shipping. So like to me, that's probably going to at least $100 profit off each of those. I bought them while I was in my pajamas in my bed and I couldn't sleep. So that's where it's like, you know, you've got to be creative and you've got to realize that cost of goods should not be what's limiting you. And, and once you take into the account, the, the effort, the time, the, everything spent on these items, you want to mix in higher end goods because it's like giving yourself an hourly raise. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's something that I'm learning too, that I'm enjoying the online sourcing and I also am enjoying going into a retail store and shopping because it only takes me a half hour, 40 minutes tops. It's organized yeah. differently. I know where I'm going. Like you can scope it out really fast. You're not spending all this time searching the racks, no matter how you perfect your thrifting system. And I have a pretty perfected. I know which categories I'm going to. I know the color tag system. It's still going to take me longer to go through a thrift store than it is for me to go through a retail store. And yeah. online sourcing just takes however long you want it to take because you can stop at any time. Like you don't you can do it wherever you are. Like right. you can do it while you're doing your everyday life. You know, like if you're waiting at the doctor's office, you could be sourcing. If you're, you know, sitting on the subway, I don't know if the subway's open right now, but you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it, you're not taking the time out of your day. It's kind of incorporated into your day. And the other, the biggest question I get is, how do you know things will sell yeah. or how do I know I'm not going to get stuck with the product? Well, you don't know nope. just like you don't know if you're going to, you know, walk out the door and get hit by a car. And I don't want to be, you know, depressing. Right. 
that. I'm just saying anything can happen. What you can do is look both ways before you cross the street, you know, like take precautions. But the other thing that I always tell people is if you can at least make your money back, where's the risk? And you've learned a valuable lesson, you know, you will have trial and error as you're moving into a higher price point. But at the end of the day, if you bought a brand and it sat forever and you made 20 bucks off of it, well, guess what? You learn an important thing about that brand or that style or whatever. So it was a lesson that cost you nothing because at the end of the day, well, you made 20 bucks or you made your money back, you know? And I think- People look at it as spending and we need to start looking at, as, looking at it as investing. I don't look at my purchases for my store as me spending. It's me investing. So I didn't go burn that money on the street. You know, if I spent $200 on some shoes, I didn't, they're not gone. I traded them for good that is worth $200. Right. But, but if you have those $200 in your hand and you put them in the bank, Six months from now, they're still worth two hundred dollars. Except these shoes might be worth four hundred. You know. Right. So for me, it's like I don't. I'm not of the school of think thought that you should just sit on product until it sells forever and ever. I do it sometimes because there are pieces that I get attached to, and I'm like, no. I think this is worth 500 and I'm going to sit on it till it does. We all have those pieces where it's like, I'm absolutely not giving this up. Sorry. No, it's too magical. It's like too precious. And, and at the end of the day, I can always get my money back. So I do think you should try to get rid of, you know, duds, things that just didn't work out and you know, they didn't. Um, And I think selling it off and losing $10, $20 on it is worth it because you can just reinvest that money into your, bread and butters or into a better thing and it it comes right back but it's all learning it's all a process and I think people are so scared of of letting of letting the money go because in their head it's like it's getting spent it's going to disappear we're just trading it we're just investing it like this is the business right this is the this is the gist of it We, we have to put money in to to get money out and and it is kind of the bigger the risk the bigger the reward so yeah. And then of course in anything, there'll always be flops, right? Like you could spend yeah. 200 on something and think that's going to bring you six, seven, and it doesn't it only brings you three fifty. Like so, it happens. It does. But the funny thing too, is I bought some shoes. I did a post about this too. I actually put the price on this cause it was crazy. I bought some philosophy, Lorenzo, uh, philosophy by Lorenzo Di Serafini. It's really expensive stuff. And it was shoes. They were eight, $900 suede boots. The suede was the most beautiful suede I've ever seen in my life. It was like butter. It was black and they had like star studs on them. They were my dream shoe. Really I beautiful. Kept, <laughs> I kept trying to keep them. Every time I'd see them, every time I was back and I was there, I was like, do they need to come with me? Like, are these yeah. my shoes? And, and they just sat for like, I would say they sat for like six or seven months and I did a post on them and it was kind of like, you know, sometimes things don't sell. Like I buy things that are beautiful that I think are, I would keep and they take a little longer to sell. And then sometimes I buy things that I'm like, Oh my God, what the heck is this? And it will fly out 
the door. So it's, you never know. I ended up selling those boots that I bought for 90 something like plus tax for 250. Right. So it's lower than what I thought I would sell them for. These are $900 shoes, but that's still, you know, I still made a hundred bucks off of them. And in my head, I was like, they're, they're so beautiful that I don't want to just give them away for 90. If no one buys them, I'll freaking keep them, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we all have those items and it's, it's kind of the beauty of reselling and the only way that you really grow in reselling and the only way that you really learn what works for you and your business is for you to take these chances and maybe you're not comfortable with that and that's fine. You don't have to be in the same place that Issa's at or where I'm at or anyone else, right? Like you need to work with what you feel comfortable with and maybe that is flipping the, the items for 20 to $30 and that's fine. Like there's no right or wrong when it comes to reselling, but if you're itching to like, change different things and try out different markets or whatever it is like this is your opportunity there's lots of resources out there now more than ever you're able to source online or retail stores are having crazy deals on items like test it try it what's the worst that can happen it doesn't sell for the amount that you want and you only make your money back okay that's fine you learned totally and i think that if you are happy with what you're doing keep doing what you're doing. If you're not moving up because you're scared, that's where the problem is. You know, like that's where you have to kind of let go. And you know, you it isn't just, you don't just jump into designer, but you do work up into higher price points and there is a strategy. And you know, I'm, I'm trying to put my crazy mind, my thoughts into an actual plan that I can show you what I did to, to build up to this stuff. But it, it is all numbers. It is all in your hands and it is possible. Anyone can do what I do, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't have some magical talent. I did have a lot of experience that helped me kind of catapult into this faster. Right. But not an, un, it's not a magic power. <laughs> it's a learned <laughs> Right. It's a lot of, you know, learning and reading and researching and taking the time. Like we get so stuck in the, I need to keep sourcing phase. Right. Mm -hmm. And we never move past that. I need to like, you don't always need to keep sourcing. You need to look at the items that you have. You need to understand your numbers. You need to like do the back end stuff, do the business related aspects of reselling to really know what it is you need to source for just don't just source to source because you need to list things like yeah. I, that drives me crazy when people do that and, and I get it it's like the mentality from social media that people go out and source these amazing things and they just keep sourcing it I get it like I, I get the process behind it but if you're just sourcing things to source then like what's what's the point of your actual business I don't think that my store ever has more than like t- 300 items ever that's impressive so like I just when people are on that's a question I get too like how many listings do you have to have on your posh for things to sell I don't think that's relevant at all no I don't think so either depends what kind of stuff you have and that people want it and stuff the kind of stuff I sell drives in the type of customer that will come back Right. So that's kind of like the, the uh, advantage that I have, I think. And because of the price points, I don't need to have a thousand pieces. You know, I have to at least stay at 300, but I think I'm at like two something right now. Um, I don't think there's a magical number either. I think that 
the whole process behind reselling is just having items that people want, having items that work well for you. Like, I think there's a lot of components that go into it. And, and now all these platforms offer different ways to just make the algorithms happy, right? Like there's a reason why certain apps push certain functions It's because they, that's how you get the algorithm to work in your favor. So like on Poshmark, they want you to send offers. They want you to do closet clear out. They want you to share like th these old things they want you to do. So I think as long as you're participating in these different things, you can have a hundred items and you would still make sales. Now, are you going to make the same amount of money as someone who's pushing a thousand items? No, like that's not going to happen. But if you can only manage the hundred listings and you're making enough that's satisfying you and your business model, then just keep at it and just make sure you're doing these different functions that the company wants you to do. Well, the funny thing is I don't even, I don't participate in the parties. I don't, I don't either I don't share my stuff. I, I share my stuff and that's about it. <laughs> I only share my stuff and I have never participated in a closet clear out ever. So, I don't think closet clear out really works. So I think in theory it can work if you're selling a certain price point because yeah. it's offering an incentive. But I think when you're going into that mid tier and high tier items, it doesn't really entice the buyer anymore. You know, it's just yeah, it's still too expensive. Like it's still right. at, at a certain price point. It's like, it's not that easy. Right. So it's different too. Like a lot, I, I actually even fell in the trap where everyone was talking about girlfriend jeans, you know? I've never and found or sold a pair of girlfriend jeans. Well, I found a ton in LA and I was like, oh, in a Simon store. And I was like, oh, all these girls talk about this. It's this magical brand. And I finally sold through them. But I kind of was like, wow, I was a victim of social media because I just mm -hmm. saw it on social media, assumed that it would work. And the thing is, it doesn't work with my business model. So right. I need to stop listening to whatever is going on on social media, you know, that doesn't make sense with my business. So I think if you're new, there's so much information out there, which is great. But before you listen to every single piece of information, you have to decide what your business is going to be, what your price points are. You need to know your numbers front and back. And then yep. once you hear all this free information that we have going on on social media, you can pick and choose what makes sense to you. Right. And it may be different. What Issa and I are talking about might not work for you. And that's fine. Like it's, it's different for everyone. And I think that it's good to take the information that you're getting from each source, whether it's YouTube, podcasting, social media, Instagram, whatever, and just see how it can apply to your business. If it doesn't apply, that's okay. You learn something new about what other people are doing and you move on. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to like, I think the most important thing if you're just starting off is to know your business, know your, what is your goal? Like what yep. are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And then like looking at your numbers and what do you have to do to get there? I, there's no magic formula. It's all, it's all numbers, trials and trial and error and learning and re repeat, you know? Yep. And it's all fun. You, if it's not fun for you, then you need to figure out why it's not fun anymore. Like it should be fun. You should be excited to be doing these different things. Are there some mundane tasks? Yeah. I mean, every job is going to have tasks that you don't want to do. Right. But yeah you need to find what your why is and just kind of go from there and you take all this information then you do with it what you wish. But 
Oh, I know what I was going to say too, is the reason I started doing all of this authentication and the lessons and the authentication service where I, so my authentication service is, I don't just, if you go to any authentication service right now, they will say real or fake, that's it. If you want to buy a certificate, it's extra whatever. The problem is that certificate doesn't really mean much. There's no government agency regulating, you know, that people, that, items that are bought are real or fake. This isn't like a government seal. If you buy a purse with XYZ verification on it and it's fake and you take it to Louis Vuitton to get fixed and they tell you it's fake, uh, they won't care that you have a, you know, a receipt or a certificate from XYZ authentication. It doesn't matter to them. Right. So for me, it's like, what could I offer that is more than just real or fake? And because my whole thing is education, I was like, okay, well, I'll do real or fake. That's what they're paying me to do, but I'll give them for free a mini lesson on their piece. So that way, if it's fake, you didn't, you're not just out 30 bucks. You know, you now know exactly what I saw and why it's fake and you know what to look out for next time. And if it's real, you now have the tools to turn around and sell that to another person. And when they ask you how they know it's real, you can walk them through every single thing, you know? I love that about your authentication service too, because there are so many that are out there and this is not knocking the other ones that are out there, but they just tell you it's real or it's fake, yeah. done deal. Like that's it. It's just because that's the kind of company that they run and that's okay. So I will end that. want you to know, right? Because then right. once you, then you won't use them again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's nice to have someone that is going to give you a lesson on, okay, here's your item. It's real. And here's why. And when you're outsourcing again, and you're looking for a similar item, you run across an item that's similar. This is the things you should be looking for. Like, I think it's so important to have that knowledge because so many people have questions about luxury, right? Like a lot of people that are listening right now are like, I'm not comfortable picking up luxury because I don't get it. I don't understand it. Like I've never, I've never owned a piece of luxury. So I wouldn't know the first thing about it. So to have someone like you as a resource out there to kind of give them the pointers and the tips and the cost of it is really low for what you're getting. Well, and I think there's going to be a price increase because there is so much added demand. <laughs> work. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this isn't what I set to, set out to do, right? Like my still, my, my money making source is the store. Yeah. This is the cool add on that I realized that I was getting so many requests that I was like, I'll just do this. Um, but no one else offers this. And the truth is you might not even be back next time you have Gucci. Cause I just gave you the whole shebang on how to like, right this certain bag so for me it's kind of like I I just did one last week this girl found a pair of Chanel sneakers really cool at her local thrift store for 40 bucks she's like you know I'm gonna take the gamble because I've never been around Chanel you know right so I don't know what they're like (laughs) yeah they were real so this girl found an amazing pair of like really cool black high top Chanel sneakers. Um, she paid 40 for them. Her authentication was 30, but now she has a full lesson on how to prove to her customer that these are real. So now she, you know, practice what you preach. I always sit, tell people they should know what they sell. Now she knows now she's comfortable selling, even though she wasn't comfortable with designer before 
now she has this magic tool that is going to tell her exactly how to sell this product. Which so, is so valuable. It, it is. And, and I want to help people and I want people to learn and I want her to have her mini lesson. So next time she comes across it, she can kind of do it herself. She can always come back and ask me, you know, we'll do another one, but I want to give you guys these tools. I'm not just doing it because I'm mother Teresa. There's another yeah. reason I do this. And the biggest reason is people selling counterfeit, resellers selling counterfeit affects all of us. Yep. Because one time someone gets burned on a fake Gucci bag, she'll never buy online again. She's going to tell all her friends and now we're all suspects. Yep. So for me, it's like counterfeit is never okay. Like they, no one should be selling counterfeit. And if you're selling counterfeit and you know it, that's kind of shady. But if you don't know it, it's not your fault, you know, but you have to be responsible. And with this added profit, with this added price point, with this bigger, you know, chance of making money comes an added responsibility. You have to make sure that what you're selling is real. Yep. So yep. for me, it's important that we're all selling authentic luxury because it, it hurts all of us when one of us is selling fake and people get burned and then it's word of mouth, you know? Right. And it just, it's not good for your reputation. Now, yeah. is it possible to make an innocent mistake, mistake and think something's real and it's really not? Yeah. It's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to Issa before. Mm -hmm. Like it happens. Yeah, it does. But I think that's your, that's where it's your responsibility. And a lot of people tell me like, well, what do I do with fake item? Well, you throw it away. Yeah. Because you, you, you don't or upcycle it. it, do something with it, you know? Yeah. But then sell it. you don't want, you want to give it to someone that will wear it, but you don't want to put it back in a consignment store where someone else will fall for it. Yep. So exactly. it's, it's tricky, but and, and counterfeit, it's a terrible, terrible system. Like, you know, they're made in like terrible working conditions. They're ripping off, you know, artisans and these houses that have been around forever. And I don't know. I just think counterfeit is just bad news. So I like to help you guys, but I also just want to help everyone avoid it. <laughs> it's it also like fast fashion, right? Like yeah. there's this movement behind sustainability and everything. And it's like, would you, I mean, I personally, do I fall into fast fashion traps sometimes? Yes. I think we all do because mm -hmm. it's quick. It's easy. Right. But I'm trying so hard to not fall into the fast fashion trap. I'm really trying to be um, just aware of what I'm buying. Is it sustainable? Yeah. Is it not? Like I'm thrifting a lot of my clothes now. Like I'm really trying, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to be yeah good about it and it's kind of the same thing like did I buy fake handbags when I was 16 and that's I went to the flea market and bought them <laughs> yeah I did like that's what I did was it right I, I mean I guess theoretically no but that's what I did um I never passed it off as if it was real but I did it <laughs> I never ever bought a fake and I think that's because I worked in the stores and that's I exactly why you know, like I was around the, the, the product. I think I really fell in love with it. And I, I was almost, I was kind of sad when people would rip them off. And I don't know. I, I just, I never did it. Not because I'm on some like moral high ground or anything. I've done other stuff that's questionable, but, um, for me, just I'm really not okay with counterfeit. So it's kind of like, I really love helping people, but it's almost also my mission to like, not have this bad stuff around you know right and and people fall into the trap of purchasing it 
Yeah, and, and the people that do end up buying, like, my nightmare is that some hardworking, you know, middle-class woman who's been saving up for her Louis Vuitton, who's earned it, gets duped. That's so sad. You know, it's, this isn't some, you know, rich person who can just waltz into Louis Vuitton and buy her stuff, and it doesn't affect her. It's like, I, I get nightmares of, of people that have worked hard for their money getting duped. It's terrible. It is. It is. And it happens a lot because there are so many really well-made dupes that are out there for certain brands that if you don't really know your luxury items and it feels good and it looks like it's good and the stitching looks okay, you, you kind of, oh, it's $400, but it must be real. You know, yeah. you fall into those. Yeah, I had a girl, I did a real or fake a while back. If you guys go back, it's the Chanel wallet on a chain. Mm-hmm. Wow. She bought it on Posh, but the woman asked her to go off Posh, and she did that. She paid $900 for it. Oh, never do that. Never go on Poshmark or any platform. Dollars. So that woman, it was not a, you know, Kardashian or anything. She couldn't, like, losing $900 like that is pretty depressing. Or a fake item. Yeah. So don't do it. Don't do the fake. I will gladly help you. And I think a lot of people will $30 for what I'm giving is not much. I think there will be a price increase maybe next year or later this year. But for now you have to think of it again as an investment. That's a write-off because you're investing in your business. But if you have the real deal, I will help you sell it because you will have all the tools and all the answers to all the questions that the customer will have as to why this is real. Yeah. And that's great. I love that about what you're doing. I really do. I like everything about what you're doing. I think it's great. I think it's needed in the community and you're really approachable and you're awesome to talk to. And I think you're biased because we talk all the time. And well, I mean, like we're also friends (laughs) that has something to do with it too, but that's okay. Everyone should be following Issa. I'm going to put all of Issa's information in the description um, of the podcast. You'll be able to go to her website, sign up for her newsletter, follow her on Instagram, all of that fun stuff. Issa, do you have anything else you'd like to say to the audience? No, um, I will say I did not do a newsletter this week. It was the week from, you know, I get it week ever. Um, and I will be leaving on a Wednesday. So I don't know if I need to make an announcement on Monday, but starting after that, they will be back every single week. And I do recommend that you sign up for the newsletter because of what I mentioned. I think the newsletter will become a more in-depth reseller tool. Um, because I won't have the mix of clients in there. So definitely sign up for the newsletter. I will be announcing everything that comes out first through the newsletter. Um, and I just think, you know, if you, if you actually, if you go on my site, on my uh, Instagram right now and you go to the link in bio there, I have, um, the way you sign up is you sign up to get a free how to spot a fake, um, lesson. And that's really important. So when you sign up, that's the first thing you will get. And that's kind of the basis for everything that I talk about. Yeah. It's really helpful. You can print it out. You can keep it saved on your computer, you know, however you want to view it. So highly recommend ESA's newsletter. I mean, I get it every week. I learn something every time just because I am familiar with luxury doesn't mean I don't learn things from people because I definitely do. 
And I think it's a good refresher, whatever, whatever, um, you know, whatever your knowledge is about luxury or not. I think even people that are around luxury a lot, sometimes they don't notice the stitching just because they take it for granted, you know, they, they just have it. So I think it's important to really dig in and learn. And, and I say this all the time. This is a warning. Just because you read the newsletter, just because you will follow me is not going to make you an instant uh, expert. Right. I'm going to give you all the information. I'm going to give you exercises. I'm going to give you worksheets. I'm going to give you all that stuff. But it is up to you to put in the work, to do the research, to stay curious, to ask questions. You know, it's and I think it is one of those things where I said before you, it's not overnight. You measure where you are now, the day you sign up and when you start, and then, you know, you measure where you are in six months. And then one day you see a Gucci bag and you can tell right away it's fake. And you're like, Oh my God, I, I know it's fake because of this, this, and this, and it all clicks. Yeah. Yes. So everyone, make sure you go sign up for that. Isa, thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you. This was so fun. I hope I didn't talk your ear off. But No, not at all. I'm okay, telling you, good. everyone loves it when we talk. <laughs> they love thank it. You. They put the podcast on in the background and they're doing their work and they're doing or they're commuting to work or whatever it is. So people love it. And, you know, I think people will love you too. So thank you so much for coming on. Issa will someday in the future be on my YouTube channel as well. But, you know, yes. we're going we're gonna to work on that too. We'll do probably a live Q&A kind of thing. So stay tuned for that, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next week with Lori. Bye. Goodbye, ladies. <laughs>